Thank you for listening to Servants for Christ. In all that we do, in all that we say, we want to give glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning us in as we get into the wonderful Word of God. For the next few minutes, let's take the beautiful Word of God and share it with each and every one of you as we have a sense of anticipation to take the Word of God and to listen to its truth for each and every one. continue our series, New Heart, New Spirit. This is the 17th in this series in the book of Ezekiel, as we're still talking about the coming judgment uh, of the terrible sin between Judah and Jerusalem. And so you would take your Bibles over to Ezekiel chapter 21 verses 1 through 32 as we look at the word of God and as we realize that uh, each and every one of us, we realize that here in the book of pro- uh, prophecy of Ezekiel, uh, we see the prophecy of judgment because in the entire nation, when the Lord looks, he says, the Lord is not there. And then the last half, the last 15 years in the book of Ezekiel is a, is a time of prophesying for hope. The seven first years were a prophecy of horror and no hope whatsoever. And so uh, the fate of Judah before the siege and the foes of Judah during the siege. But the future for Judah after the siege, hopefully a time and prophecy of restoration that the Lord will be found back in the nation of Israel. And that's exactly what Ezekiel was doing You had seven years of prophesying that was of horror and no hope and the last 15 years of prophesying of hope. And chapters 1 through 32 was those seven years of prophesying of the horror and no hope. In chapters 33 all the way to the end of the chapter 48, those 15 years of prophesying was a prophesying of hope. Hopefully, they listened to the prophet of God that he had sent to them. But right now, we're in a segment that deals with strictly from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 24, judgments against Judah. We started out in chapter 1, 2, and 3 where Ezekiel sees the glory and he receives the call. And, and so, we realize that... Uh, at the, the, the break point is Ezekiel chapter 25 of the prophecies of doom and gloom for Judah. Hopefully something will turn around by that time. But here as we look at the 17th series, a new heart, a new spirit, amen. We begin to look at the wonderful word of God and we look and we begin to realize that how many of us as we go through life today, uh, we begin to realize that, uh, you know, we're in a, a world that is more wicked than it's ever been. Uh, just like Jonathan Kahn uh, talked about with the return of the gods, how that, I believe that it is possible that what's happening in America and the world 
is the mystery that's hidden in all of the 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 uh, skepticism, all of the uh, uh, new idols of the world that are out there today, of all the ancient entities known to the nations as gods uncapitalized uh, with a s. They're more than just a myth. They're real. Those demons are over certain areas in the world. And so uh, those entities, they are what's happening in our culture and what's happening in the lives of America today. They're the ones that are doing things behind the scenes and changing things, transforming things. Just like I believe with all of our laws from times past that have affected the courtroom. Every one of these, these spirits, these dominions, these destroyers, these enchantresses, every one of these things are what's changed America because the devil has power as well. And so when you're dealing with wicked people that are selfish and that are self-centered and they're concerned primarily with fulfilling the lust of the flesh and their own sinful desires, voila, you transformed America into the very time frame of Ezekiel in the book of Ezekiel. Because wicked people are guilty of all sorts of sexual immorality, impure thoughts, idolatry, occult practices, satanic activities. This is what's happening out in the world today. And the hatred, the discord, the jealousy, the anger, the selfish ambition, the envy, the drunkenness, all of the the bad behaviors that lead to the destruction of the societies and nations. God's judgment is sure to fall upon people who live such wicked lives. And America is a big part of that today. And Ezekiel is emphasizing that God's sword of judgment is about to fall upon the peoples of Israel and Ammon. And uh, here in chapter 21, the prophet uses the word sword 13 times to picture the coming sword that is going to be unsheathed, the weapon, Babylon themselves, to invade Israel and Ammon. And so that's the sword that's going to be unsheathed, is the Babylonian Empire. God has chosen Babylon to be his sword, an agent of judgment against these two nations of Israel, or Judah and Ammon, and God's sword of judgment is going to strike all the people who live wickedly. The righteous people are very opposite of the wicked. They do, they try to do what's right. They trust the Lord. They obey both the commandments and the laws of the land. But truly, righteous people lead others to truth. And they encourage them to make the greatest contribution that they can to their communities and to society as a whole. We must always remember the fact that the righteous, as well as the wicked, will face God's judgment. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, every human being, whether wicked or righteous, will stand before God and give an account for his or her behavior. And so we look and we begin to realize that uh, the sword of the Lord comes against Jerusalem. In verses 1 through 5, we see the work of Yahweh's sword. In verses 6 and 7, the sight of the prophet how that he sees these visions and he's enacting them out to the people to see what God is going to do. And then in verses 8 through 17, there's a prophecy of Yahweh's sword that's going to come. And then secondly, not only the sword of the Lord comes against Jerusalem, but the sword of the Lord will come uh, against Ammon as well. Uh, and we see the path of that sword because uh, 
in verses 18 through 21, two paths for that sword of judgment will go. Which one will it go to first? Will it go to Judah or will it go to Ammon? And so the decision is in verses 22 and 23 to go to Jerusalem. And then we see of the humbling of this, that uh, the humbling of the prince of Judah in verses 24 down to verse 27, and then in all the way to the end of verse 28 to 32, the coming reproach on the Ammonites. And so God's sword of judgment is drawn. And here is a reminder that both the righteous and the wicked will be judged in verses 1 through 7 that we read, amen. And so what does he tell us? Here, he tells us that God's sword of judgment that is drawn, a reminder that both the righteous and the wicked will be judged in verses 1 through 7. And he tells us in verse 1, and the word of the Lord came unto me, Ezekiel saying, the Lord spoke to Ezekiel. And he says, God's word of judgment is going to be drawn from its sheaf is what he's going to tell him. It was almost time for an execution of judgment to begin scripturally, graphically, that is described in this scene. Because as I pick up in verse 2, he tells us, Son of man, set thy face toward Jerusalem and drop thy word toward the holy places. Drop thy word, he said, toward the holy places and prophesy against the land of Israel. And so we go on and he tells us, he says, here, this is the, me the message of judgment that is to be heard by all the citizens of Jerusalem who worshiped in the sanctuaries of the false gods and the land of Israel. All these citizens, he said, all of them. He said God's message to the people was that he was ready to draw his sword of judgment is what we're going to read in verse 3. He says, and he says to the land of Israel, thus saith the Lord, behold, I am against thee and will draw forth my sword out of his sheath and will cut off from thee the righteous and the wicked. Boy, I'm telling you, Ezekiel's not an old, old book of thousands of years or anything. It's a current today of current events. And so he's saying, the Lord says, I'm your enemy. I'm going to draw my sword and I'm going to kill all of you. Whether you're good and evil alike, I'm going to kill all of you. It's shocking to hear this, that he was going to execute judgment upon the righteous as well as the wicked. But not only the wicked would suffer the judgment, the righteous as well. He was going to execute judgment upon everyone throughout the land from the south to the north. And he himself would be the executioner. You know what? There are three different times that the Lord said that he would draw his sword of judgment from its sheath. In verse 3, in verse 4, and in verse 5. And so he says in verse 3, And say to the land of Israel, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am against thee, and will draw forth my sword out of his sheath, and will cut from thee the righteous and the wicked. He goes on in verse 4, and he continues on to tell us, he says, Seeing then that I will cut off from thee the righteous and the wicked, therefore shall my sword go forth out of his sheath against all flesh from the south to the north. He goes on in verse 5, that all flesh may know that I, the Lord, have drawn forth my sword out of his sheath the third time. It shall not return anymore. You know what? I don't know about you, but I remember when the old time preachers would preach in threes. They would preach it in threes to be repetitive, to know that there was a seriousness about this. And God clearly stated his purpose in executing a judgment. Once his hand of judgment began to strike, people would begin to acknowledge that he is the Lord. And God longs for all the people of the world to know him, the only living and true God. And I'm glad that he's the one 
other than all of these entities, all of these other gods with a small g and an s that are out in the world of materialism, of money, of power, of fame, of attention, of selfishness that's out in the world today. But one way that he stirs up people to acknowledge him is by prophesying judgment and fulfilling exactly what he has predicted. The fulfillment of prophecies of judgment that validates God's word. And some people acknowledge the fact that they turn to him in repentance. Still others turn to him because of the painful sufferings that they're going to have to bear. When all of this begins to transpire, Ezekiel is acting it out. He's telling the story of the prophecy as he acts it out. And when people find themselves in terrifying crisis and difficult circumstances, that's when finally they cry out to the Lord for mercy and help. And this was the purpose of God's judgment to arouse people to turn away from their sins and back to him. And so verse 5 refers to all people, to the entire world, and to the fact that God will not return his sword to its sheath until the judgment has been fully executed. And so we see that uh, the double reference apply not only to the judgment that God would execute through Babylon, but later on when we get down in verse 21 and 22, we'll see that God will uh, execute through Babylon, but also the judgment that will fall in the last days of human history. When we get down in verses 21 and 22, that he'll talk about this. But I'm telling you, uh, because he says in verse 21, looking ahead, for the king of Babylon stood at the parting of the way, at the head of the two ways, to use divination. He made his arrows bright. He consulted with images, and he looked in the liver. And I'm going to explain that in just a few minutes, because that is the way that... They uh, used to, uh, just like you would go to a crystal ball reader or a palm reader or a card reader or a tarot card. That's exactly what he was doing with the arrows. They would shoot an animal and look at its liver and begin to read that liver with the arrow being shot through it, how to, do, uh, to make decisions and guidance is exactly what he's saying. Let me go on and read in verse 22. At his right hand was the divination for Jerusalem to appoint captains to open the mouth in uh, uh, in the, the slaughter. And, and so uh, here we see that voice of shouting that's taking place uh, because uh, here to point battering rams against the gates to cast a mount and to build a fort. And so he made a decision between Ammon and Jerusalem that he's going to Jerusalem because he was able to tell through the divination of shooting an arrow through an animal and looking at the liver that that's the way that he was to go. Boy, but let me continue reading in verses 6 and 7 that he's telling us. He says here, whenever God's hand of judgment begins to strike, the efforts are terrifying. They're devastating. In verse 6, sigh, therefore, thou son of man, with the breaking of thy loins and with bitterness sigh before their eyes. Man, I'm going to tell you, he goes on in verse 7, and he says, and it shall be when they say unto thee, wherefore sightest thou? that thou shalt answer for the tidings because it cometh. Every heart shall melt and all hands shall be feeble and every spirit shall faint and all knees shall be weak as water. Behold, it cometh and shall be brought to pass, saith the Lord. When you ask, when they ask you why you're groaning, the Lord says, I want you to tell them that it is because of the news that is coming. When it comes, their hearts are going to be filled with fear. Their hands will hang limp. Their courage will fail. Their knees will tremble. And the time has come. It is here that the sovereign Lord of the universe has spoken. And so e Ezekiel, he dramatizes the fact for the people. Judgment is going to bring pain, distress, and grief in verse 6. 
Sigh therefore, thou son of man, with the breaking of thy loins and with bitterness sigh before their eyes in verse 6. That's exactly what he's telling them. And so to drive the point home, Ezekiel uh, was to act as though they were brokenhearted and gripped by bitter grief to groan as deeply as he could. He was acting out the part of dramatizing it. And when the people ask him, hey, what's wrong with you, Ezekiel? You're acting crazy, man. Why, you got a little bit of uh, Forrest Gump in you. <laughs> he, he was to describe the pain and the distress and, and the grief of a coming judgment that was happening, amen. And so each and every one of us, when we look, the prophet was about to inform the exiles that their hearts would melt, their hands would go limp, their spirits fail when they received the news that Babylon had conquered their homeland and Jerusalem would fall and Judah would utterly be devastated of the coming judgment that was certain and the sovereign Lord himself had guaranteed it. And so when we look at this today in verses one through seven, we see an eye opener for America. Not only the wicked, but also the righteous will face a coming judgment. And all of us must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for everything that we have ever done, whether it's good or whether it's bad. As I said earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. All we have ever done will be exposed before God. Believers will face the Lord and give an account for everything that we've done while living in our bodies. Every effort that we've made, every work that we've done on earth will either be accepted and rewarded or rejected and thrown away. And each of us faces the Lord as he reviews our life that if we have trusted Christ, he'll cover our sins with the blood shed on the cross of, of, of Calvary then uh, we'll be counted righteous and acceptable to God because we believe that Christ's blood covers all sins. But all who have rejected Christ and attempt to approach God in their own righteousness will not be acceptable to God. Remember, again, this message probably will be heard when it's too late. When I'm already gone and the church is gone and you're already in the middle of when all hell breaks loose. Why? Because the righteous fall short of God's glory. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God is what the Bible says. And so we've rejected the Lord. We've walked through life denying, neglecting, and ignoring him, unbeliever, uh, un, uh, unsaved person. And the result will be catastrophic. They will be condemned, every one of you, to live eternally separated from God in a, in a hell fire that will burn forever and ever uh, where the worm dieth not. The righteous will stand before God and give an account for their behavior, praise God. And so, uh, as Second Thessalonians, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says in Second Peter 2, 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of the temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. And so, that day is coming. Each and every one of you are going to pay for it. But the wicked will face God's terrible judgment. Amen. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. And so we look and we begin to realize that God has got something that's going to take place. When we pick up in verse 8, down to verse 18, God's word of judgment uh, is being prepared to strike 
But I thank God, God's sword of judgment was drawn in verses 1 through 7. But God's sword of judgment is prepared to strike in verses 8 through 17. Uh, and uh, it's ready to face God's coming judgment as we read this. I'm going to try to skip through it very quickly because uh, this is something that uh, for time's sake that uh, I'm going to get immediately to uh, more of the scripture. But it says, and again, the word of the Lord came to me saying in verse 8. He goes on in verse 9 and he tells us, he says, listen. Uh, son of man, prophecy and say, thus saith the Lord, say a sword, a sword is sharpened, also furbished. And so God's sword's been sharp, sharpened, it's been polished, and it's now raised, and it's ready to strike like lightning, is what he's telling us, amen. And so here we see in verse 10, it's sharpened to make a, a sore slaughter, and uh, it is furbished that it may glitter, should we then make mirth to uh, contenteth the rod of thy son is ever, ever tree. And so I thank God he goes on. When the sword fell, all the people's laughter and joy suddenly stopped. No laughter would be there. Any rejoicing among the people or among the royal scepter of the kingship of Judah. Uh, and so here's the hand of the executioner that's going to grasp the sword. And he's fixing to begin striking all of those in verse 11. And he hath given it to be furbished that it may be handled. This sword is sharpened. It is furbished. To give it into the hand of the slayer, which is who? Babylon. And so God's sword will strike his own people, the strike the princes and the people alike. In verse 12, cry and howl, son of man, for it shall be upon my people. It shall be upon all princes of Israel. Terrors by reason of the sword shall be upon my people. Smite, smite therefore upon thy sword. Upon thy thigh. In verse 12 of Ezekiel chapter 21, as we continue on, down to verse 18 because he says here he tells us here in grief this sword is meant for my people and for all the leaders of Israel they're going to be killed with all of the rest of my people beat your breast in despair both the people and the rulers had misinterpreted God's promise that the descendant of David would always rule over their nation it goes back into Genesis chapter 49 and 2 Samuel chapter 7. You see, the Jews believed that since God had promised that they would always have a descendant of David ruling over them, he would never allow their nation to be destroyed. And so we look, Judah and the exiles was rejoicing and still hoping in the promise of the royal messianic line through the tribe of Judah. But in Genesis 49.10, both the scepter and my son are used to describe the promise. The messianic overtones of Genesis chapter 49 verses 9 and 10 together with the promises of David's covenant of 2 Samuel chapter 7 were foundational to Judah's hope. And so she was certain that God's messianic promises, the scepter of my son, would preserve her as a nation forever. Here in new heart, new spirit, part one of 17, uh, series number 17, part one. She need not fear Ezekiel's pronouncements of judgment by Babylon. But the people, they had forgotten the stipulation of discipline, even in the Davidic covenant of David of 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, that says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. 
and as well as the cursing formula for the Mosaic Covenant of Deuteronomy chapter 28 all the way down to verse 29, which is a lot of reading. Uh, it talks about the curse that of the cursing formula of the Mosaic Covenant. That it talked about the blessing shall come on thee and overtake thee. And if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, blessed shall thy be in the city. Blessed shall thy be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, the fruit of thy ground, the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket, thy store. And it goes all the way down. Talks about the many blessings in Deuteronomy chapter 28. All the way down to Deuteronomy chapter 29. And then it goes into all the curses as well. And as we look at this, we're reminded of all the things that the people begin to realize that no one can touch them. No one could ever do anything to them. But they were so wrong. Because as we look and realize that, uh, you know, the Jews had completely ignored the consequence of sin which is judgment. And because of this, the Lord was not going to allow another descendant of David to rule as king over Israel until the coming of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. That is the reading of Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Deuteronomy chapter 29. Christ would be the eternal king who would rule upon the throne of David forever and ever. And so we see in uh, verse 13 of Ezekiel 21, because it is a trial, and what if the sword contend even the rod? It shall be no more, saith the Lord God. In other words, I'm testing my people, and if they refuse to repent, all these things will happen to them, which is what? The blessings and the cursings of Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Deuteronomy chapter 29, which you need to read sometime because I don't have the time to read that entire thing. But he goes on in verse 24, excuse me, of verse 14 of Deuteronomy 21. Thou, thou for son of man, prophecy, talking about Ezekiel, and smite thy hands together and let the sword be doubled the third time. The sword of the slain, it is the sword of the great men that are slain, which entereth into their privity chambers. Here he tells us, now mortal man prophesy, clap your hands and the sword will strike again and again. And it is a sword that kills and a sword that terrifies and slaughters. He goes on in verse 15. I have set the point of the sword against all their gates that their heart may faint and their ruins be multiplied. Ah, it is made bright. It is wrapped up for the laughter. He says it makes people lose courage and stumble threatening their city with a sword that flashes like lightning that's ready to kill. No matter how much people believe God's promises would protect them, their belief would prove to be false. Because of their sins, God had to execute judgment upon them. And when he did, all hope and the promise of the coming Messiah would seem to have been snuffed out. When God's sword of judgment struck, the people would begin to cry out in their pain, suffering and grief, and to dramatize this fact. The Lord instructed Ezekiel to weep and wail and to beat his chest. And God's sword was prepared to test his people to see who truly believed him and his word of verse 13 that read again, because it is a trial. And what if the sword contend even the rod? It shall be no more, saith the Lord God. And so here it was prepared to strike with a force 
and the swiftness all the way from verse 14 down to verse 17 that we read this, amen. And so he tells us uh, that in verse 16, he says, go thee one way or other, either on the right hand or on the left, whithersoever thy face is set. In verse 16 of chapter 21 of Ezekiel, he says, you can cut to the right and the left your sharp sword. You can cut wherever you turn. But you know what? He goes on in verse 17. I will also smite my hands together and I will cause my fury to rest. And I, the Lord, have said it. He says, I'm going to clap my hands and my anger will be over. And I, the Lord, have spoken. And so he tells each and every one of us uh, that uh, he says here, he says, as uh, again, God instructed Ezekiel to dramatize the rapidly striking of his hands together that suggests an intense anger over the event of all of this that Ezekiel showed the people that their sins had aroused God's anger. Now, we see five facts that illustrate the force and the swiftness which God's sword of judgment would strike. Starting with verse 14, it would strike three times, which suggested a great slaughter of people by the Babylonian army in verse 14 of Ezekiel 21. It would prevent anyone from escaping through the gates of the city. In verse 15, it would also strike like lightning that it said that I've set the point of the sword against all the gates. That In verse 15, that their heart may faint, their runes be multiplied. Ah, it is made bright and it is wrapped up for the slaughter that he said. And then in verse 16, it would slash right and left until God's judgment was fully executed. In verse 16, that he talked about this. And then fifthly, it would be guided by the hands of God himself until judgment was complete in verse 17. And so the point is a strong warning to every one of us, even in America, that we must prepare for the coming judgment. When God's sword of judgment begins to strike, we must be ready to stand face to face with the Lord. And when he calls us forward to stand before him, we must be ready to give an account of our behaviors of what we've done in these bodies. And so he tells us in Ezekiel 21, verses 8 through 17, be reverent that God sharpens his sword. And so Ezekiel not only cried and wailed, but he smote his thigh. He clapped his hands together. And it's possible that he was also uh, brandishing a sword as he spoke. Although the text doesn't state this, the Lord was preparing the Babylonian army to be an effective, efficient in carrying out his plans Despising the king of Judah, the sword of Babylon would turn Judah's scepter into nothing but a stick. And the invading soldiers would be so effective that one swordsman would do the work of three. And the, for the Jews, there would be no escape. Even the Lord would applaud the soldiers as they executed the judgment that he had ordained in verse 17. And the Jews recalled Ezekiel's previous action sermon using the sword back in Ezekiel chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. I'm telling you, every one of us, when we look and realize that God is going to do a great work, the rapture of the church to heaven is one of the next events on God's prophetic timetable that will occur when all who have personally trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, the living and the dead, will be called up to meet the Lord in the air and go with Him back up to heaven. At least seven years later, these believers will return with him to earth. At his second coming, 
And I'm glad that the seven-year tribulation period, the final seven years of the age, will begin with a peace treaty between Israel and the Antichrist and end with the second coming of Christ to earth. And during this time, the Lord will pour out his wrath upon the earth in successive waves of judgment, but the Lord will also pour out his grace by saving millions during this time. The three and a half year world empire of the Antichrist during the last half of the tribulation, the Antichrist will rule the world politically, economically, religiously, and the entire world will give allegiance to him or suffer persecution and death. And the campaign of Armageddon, of World War III, the campaign that will strike through Armageddon, the final event of the Great Tribulation, all the armies of the earth will gather to come against Israel and attempt once and for all to eradicate the Jewish people. And I'm going to tell you, the second coming of Christ to earth, the climatic event of human history is the literal, physical, visible, glorious return of almighty King of King and Lord of Lord Jesus Christ to planet earth. And he'll destroy the armies of the world gathered in Israel and set up his kingdom on earth that will last for 1,000 years. Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 through 21. Here is God's blueprint for the end of times, the coming judgment that we see. Father, we thank you for the wonderful word of God all the way down from verse 1 to verse 18 of Ezekiel chapter 21. This is part one, Father. I pray, God, of the new heart of new spirit that, Lord, that you will take each and every one of us and let us be a blessing, Father. Let us be that one that will take in, Lord, the new heart and the new spirit. Lord, because you said that you would renew a new heart and a new spirit in every one of us, Father. And so, Father, I pray that through your work that you do to every one of us, Father, help us to be there to do that very thing, God, that you want done. Help us, Father, to be the one that will carry out the word of the witness of the word of God to the many that are lost, that they may be rescued and brought back into the family of God before it's too late and before this judgment strikes America. And Father, I pray God, may we be about the Father's business in all that we do. Thank you for the reading and all of the word of God of the book of Ezekiel, Father, that it will take us and let us be able to do, Father, and transpire. And Lord, I thank God that we, Lord, as a you uh, said unto the shepherds, woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. And uh, Lord, that should not the flocks feed, the, the shepherds feed the flocks, Father. I pray God that Lord, that as you've scattered uh, those because there's no shepherd and because uh, uh, they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Lord, I pray God that you will help us uh, to be the one, Father that will bring them back into the fold, Father. And God, that we would go forth. And Lord, as we feed uh, those with the pastor and the high mountains of Israel, that shall bring the fold together, Lord, of pastor that will feed them. Lord, I pray, may we seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away and bind up that which was broken and strengthen that which was sick. And Lord, may we be there to feed uh, them with judgment, Lord. Oh God, as you said, that you will begin to give us the pasture that we need. Uh, Lord, the deep waters, uh, Father, that will give us the rescue because you are the one, Father, that as they were scattered, 
that you'll bring them back together again, Father. Of all that we say, let us be the blessing to those ones in Jesus' marvelous mighty name. Amen. Thank you.